Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 93 with Steve Case of the Founder Podcast. Discover exactly what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur and what's possible through entrepreneurship from the greatest minds in business today. Welcome to the Founder Podcast. Here's your host, Nathan Chan. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan, coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia, hometown Melbourne. And uh, you guys are in for an absolute treat from today's guest. Uh, His name is Steve Case and he's founded a company, a little company called AOL, which was actually the first tech company to go public. And, uh, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, They even acquired Time Warner, uh, a massive, massive conglomerate company. And uh, we get to hear from the founder and how it all started, how he built this rapid growing startup how he himself actually became a billionaire and his secrets to success. So you guys in for an absolute treat. Uh, Steve Case, super knowledgeable founder. He has a lot of experience and uh, has a ton of proof to back it up. What can I say? So if you guys are enjoying these episodes, please do spread the word. Tell your friends. Please do leave us a five-star review. It helps more than you can imagine. And if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to check out the magazine. Uh, it's you know where our fruits of our labor really goes. So, guys, that's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump into the show. Thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with me, Steve. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on that we speak to is, how did you get your job? Well, it was a little bit circuitous. I, when I graduated from college in 1980, I, I read a book uh, actually called The Third Wave by Alvin Toffler and was intrigued with what he was talking about down almost almost four decades ago. But there, there were no internet companies to go to then, so I ended up working for a couple of large companies in the United States, Procter & Gamble and then PepsiCo, and then finally moved to the Washington, D.C. area in 1983 to join a little startup. And that failed, but two of the people that I... Matt and I started AOL now in 1985, so 30, 31 years ago. So it was a little bit circuitous. I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't quite know how to get there. And it, and it took uh, a, a few moves before I finally kind of landed in a place where I could play a role in trying to make the internet part of my day life. Yeah, wow. Amazing. And did you imagine that when you started AOL, it would have got to where it, where it is today? No, I, I, I imagine that the, you know, what we now think of as the internet would someday be pervasive and have a significant impact on people's lives and society. I, I always believe that, but I didn't think AOL itself would would uh, necessarily be the, you know, the uh, 
a success. I was hoping it would be, but you know, there were a lot of big companies when we were launching. We only were able to raise one million dollars of venture capital, and we had some competitors like IBM and Sears had committed one billion dollars to a venture called Prodigy in the 1980s. So that was pretty formidable. And AT&T was doing things, and Microsoft was talking about doing things, and newspapers and banks like Knight Ritter and and uh, Citigroup were talking about doing things or doing things. So it was a big, big, uh, it seemed like a big opportunity, but there were also a lot of competition. So I always believed that somehow, some way, the internet would become part of everyday life, but it was not as obvious that what, what role AOL specifically would play. And it's, again, it's hard to go back 30 plus years, but when we started AOL in the United States, uh, only 3% of people were online and those 3% were only online one hour a week. So it really was kind of early days in terms of uh, it was still a very niche hobbyist kind of uh, kind of market. So I believe that someday it would be a mass market. Someday it would be a mainstream market. Someday it would change how people got information and communicated and bought products and so forth. But it was less clear that, you know, our little AOL company would would uh, would be one of the one of the companies that really did help you know get the world online. Mm, I see. And I'm curious, you know. With the success you've had as an entrepreneur, what makes you effective? Like what sets you apart from others? I, I'm really curious because, you know, you've, you've achieved a lot of success. Well, I think the word curious is probably part of it, what you used. I think I've always been curious about what's happening and, and paying attention to what's happening around the periphery and trying to kind of lean into the future and focus on what's happening next versus what's happened already. And try to look at, you know, meet a lot of people and get exposed to a lot of different ideas and, and see some patterns emerge that, you know, suggest sort of opportunities. But I think it, I think it starts with a curiosity and just a, a uh, interest in what's going what's gonna to happen next. Indeed, that's part of the reason I, you know, finally decided to write a book after 57 years, which is, you know, I concluded that this third wave of the Internet was going to be different in a lot of different respects and could learn from some of the lessons of the past, but it was mostly a book that I could write that was more about the future. And so that was what made it interesting to me. So I've always been interested in, in what's going to happen next and that curiosity and uh, just desire to kind of be part of, you know, unleashing revolutions across a lot of different sectors that can hopefully improve a lot of people's lives. And, you know, that's just always been what's interesting to me. Mm, I see. And, you know, back in the early days of, of starting AOL and growing it, um, like I know uh, at one point in, in time, Bill Gates wanted to, to acquire you guys. I'm just really curious, what kind of hours did you work back in those early days? Um, can you give people an insight to uh, what it takes to, you know, take a company public and 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 achieve what you've achieved? No, it was, it was hard work and, you know, we did work hard, particularly in those early days and, and uh in the mid to late 1980s, uh, I was in my you know late 20s. You know, we had a small team, a couple dozen people, and and you know we really were kind of all in. So it was sort of a you know, kind of a seven day a week kind of obsession. And as it grew, we started going from dozens of people to hundreds of people to thousands of people, to eventually tens of thousands of people. At every stage, it created different you know opportunities, but also different challenges. Every year or so, I'd have to kind of rethink my role and reposition my my role. And, and certainly when we went public, 
Uh, that changed things. We were we went public in 1992. It was the first internet company to go public. So we had to educate the markets about what the internet was and why they should be investing in the in, in the internet. But that was a you know it was a challenge to get people to believe. And, and initial interest in the company was was pretty modest. But over time, you know, people got got it, and and it really started to grow more rapidly. And that's where you know some of the interest among potential acquirers, you mentioned Bill Gates or others as well that were interested in, in uh, you know, acquiring the company. So it was a, a circuitous, uh, you know, adventure. It wasn't a straight line. Uh, there were a number of times where there really were kind of near-death experiences where we thought we weren't going to survive, you know, but thankfully we kind of stuck with it and we persevered and figured out some new angle, some new direction, some new twist, and eventually we're able to kind of continue to move forward. Mm, I see. I'm really curious around, um, you know, how you mentioned the, the growth of the company and, you know, how you eventually got to 10,000 plus staff. But for a lot of our audience in the early days, their their team would be growing from just a, you know, solo, you know, either either solo or, or in an early stage startup team to, you know, getting into the five plus, 10 plus, 20 plus, 30 plus. What are some key things that you know startups can take away from uh, your lessons on scale and just leadership and, and and structure on managing people? Because that that's a that's a really critical part when you're growing your company to not stuff that up, right? No, it's very hard, and and, and usually it's uh, you know kind of two steps forward, one step back. I don't think anybody gets it perfectly right. You just kind of have to keep adjusting and trying to kind of, you know, kind of understand what the next challenge is. I, I think it was always helpful to me in those early days to try to imagine how things might look at, you know, down the road, even a year down the road and, and try to position now for that future that was, you know, imminent and not just always be kind of behind the eight ball trying to play catch up. So particularly as we were starting to you know, accelerate our growth, it was, it was kind of, you know, trying to understand what kind of organizational structure we might need in a year or two and, and put that in place before we need it instead of after uh, we need it and recognize that, you know, entrepreneurship obviously is a team sport. So it's not just about, you know, the CEO or the, the founder or the founders. It's, it's a broader mix of people and you've got to strike the right balance between having a team that does work well together uh, while also having disparate and diverse perspectives. And, and the extent you just focus on people that you like to work with, you know, chances are that's not going to give you, the different perspectives that you need at the same time, the other side, if you just focus on, on different skill sets and don't focus on how to mold that together as a team, you know, that's, that's going to be a problem as well. So it's a tricky balance in terms of getting, you know, getting in front of the curve in terms of putting the team in place to manage where you're going, not just where you are, or certainly not where you've been and also balance the benefits of a, a team that, that culturally is aligned while also, infusing your team with some you know unique and diverse perspectives hmm, i see um let's talk about your your new book the third wave what can people expect from reading it well, i think it's a it's a mix of things it's it's my kind of view of where things are going from a technology standpoint particularly an inter- internet standpoint and how that's going to change society and also kind of disrupt some big big industries uh, so there's that aspect to it but i also think it's I've tried to provide a little bit of a of a roadmap, a little different, a little bit of a playbook uh, for entrepreneurs who want to be part of that that third wave. And 
and, and give them a framework to think about it. I mentioned when I was coming out of college in 1980, I read a book also called The Third Way by a futurist, Alvin Toffler, and that was really inspired me to be on the path I've been on for the last four decades and gave me a sense of where things were going and, and led me to want to be part of making the internet part of everyday life. And so I'm hopeful that other people will, you know, might be reading my book and find a similar inspiration and, and it's kind of a similar kind of a roadmap or, or, or playbook to, to help help navigate that 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 future. There's three you know P's in particular that I talk about it. I think are gonna be really important in the next 10, 15, 20 years. You know, one is partnership, the second is policy, and the third is perseverance. And those were three P's that were very important in the early days of the internet, what I call the first wave of the internet, just building the internet, building the on-ramps, the internet, but has been less important in the last 10, 15 years in the second wave, which has been building apps and services on top of the internet. But those three P's are going to become important again in the third wave. I think in the case of partnership, I don't think it's going to be just about the software. It's not just about the app. It's how do you integrate uh, technology, integrate the internet in, in seamless ways, and it's going to require partnerships with organizations in those sectors. Uh, I don't think you can go alone. You need to go together. Uh, I think policy will become more important because many of these sectors, whether it be healthcare or food or education or transportation or energy or financial services, are regulated, and, and, and they're going to continue to be regulated. So understanding that aspect is going to be important. And the final P is perseverance, which is, as I learned with AOL in that first wave, Sometimes revolutions happen in more evolutionary ways, uh, and you got to stick with it. You've got to persevere, and if you really believe in your idea, you know you got to you got to keep keep fighting. And in our case with AOL, you know we were kind of it's a lot of people. We kind of sprung onto the scene in the mid 1990s, but we'd really been at it for more than a decade before we finally broke through. So I used to joke that we were kind of a 10 year in the making overnight sensation. I think that dynamic will be more common in this third wave. Mm, I see. That's interesting. And how how should people know in, in, in regards to perseverance when to give up and when to keep going? Because that's a tricky one, right? Oh, it's very tricky. I, I think it really comes down to your conviction about the, the, the idea itself. It's sort of do you, you know, everybody, when they start any kind of business, has a point of view, a perspective, a hypothesis. In my case, the hypothesis was that someday, somehow, this idea of the internet uh, would become mainstream. And so in those early years when things were difficult, uh, I never really lost hope in the idea of the internet. We just had to keep changing you know, what we were doing, changing direction, pivoting, you know, kind of figuring out new partnerships, figuring out new angles uh, to you know, continue to improve on what we're doing. And and continue to be relevant and get more traction. So I think it starts with that idea. And, if, it, and some ideas people think of are, are interesting ideas turn out not to be so interesting and that they're, they're, they're just not a market acceptance of them. In that case, it is better to you know call it a day and, and, and close up and figure out something else to, to do. But if you still believe in the idea and you still believe there's a strategy to, to help take that idea and give it life and give it scale and you have an understanding of, sort of the competitive dynamics and you think it is possible to, you know, to break through, then I think that argues for, you know, for perseverance. So it really, it's, for me, it starts with the, the idea and continually questioning or re-questioning whether that is something that does make sense 
But if it does make sense, then, you know, keep your focus on, on your team, you know, keep your focus on the right, you know, priorities, you know, keep your focus on the, you know, the broader competitive landscape, uh, keep your focus on what partnerships might accelerate your growth. I, I think that's where it makes sense to stay the course, but, but keep tweaking what you're doing, keep, keep adjusting what you're doing to reflect the, what the market's telling you. Mm, I see. So I'm curious, um, you know, you, you mentioned that, um, back in the early days when you guys started AOL, you didn't, you re- didn't receive much venture funding and compared to some of your competitors, what was your competitive advantage against some of these other companies? Uh, it was a mix of things, but it started with a strategy that really was based on on partnerships. So most of our competitors were launching uh, essentially what was then called online services or interactive services on their own with their own you know kind of brand names. And we decided, and again, this is thirty plus years ago, to partner with the the personal computer manufacturers, the PC manufacturers, and create custom online services for each of them, sort of private label, white label services. So we partner with Commodore and Tandy and Apple and IBM to create custom services. That was part of it. The second part of it was our focus was always on community. There's other of our competitors focused on content, others focused on commerce. We thought the killer app of the internet was people or community. What now we think of as sort of social media. And so that was always a big focus. And we we spent most of our time trying to innovate in these people functions and these community uh, functions. And the third is we had a real keen eye towards trying to make these services really easy to use and useful and fun and affordable. We always had sort of a mainstream mass market kind of orientation to it. So that really guided a lot of our our thinking. And and most of the competitors at the time, the services were kind of complicated to use. They were expensive to, uh, to use. So it was a mix of the partnership strategy around private label uh, services, a, a, a keen focus on on the people functions, the community functions, the you know the social functions, and also really a strong focus on on ease of use. Really trying to make make these services something that everybody could use, not just kind of computer hobbyists could use. Hmm, I see. That's interesting. And when it came to partnerships, what advice would you give to? Uh, our audience around creating great partnerships, looking for potential partners, any insights um, around that? Well, obviously varies depending on the stage of the company and what kind of uh, sector they're, they're, they're targeting. The dynamics would be, would be different. But in general, I think it starts with a, a hypothesis, a belief, a conviction, even a passion uh, that partnerships are critical to, Really enable you to take your idea and give it life and give it give it scale. They're not they're not optional. They're essential. And if you have that mindset, you're more likely to to bring a kind of a fresh and sometimes flexible perspective to figure out not just what's in your interest, but what's also in in the, your prospective partner's interest, and figure out some way to kind of have a meeting of the minds. And then recognize that it requires ongoing you know, flexibility, just like any relationship, like a marriage. You, you, you kind of have there's some, some give and take to it. So if you come at it thinking you can do it on your own, you're probably not going to be a, a great partner. If you come at it thinking about uh, the partnership in too much of a rigid, inflexible way, it, it probably is not going to really be a, a sustained partnership. You have to focus on what's in their interest, not just in what's in your interest, if you're going to have a, a you know, success in establishing and also sustaining any kind of partnership. Mm, I see. 
And can you are we able to talk about the merger with Time Warner? Sure. So what happened there? Well, really, two things happened. One was, you know, for a whole host of reasons, which I go through in the book, we did think strategically it was the right thing for AOL to merge with, with Time Warner. It really provided us a more diversified mix of businesses and a path to broadband, which at the time was, was critically uh, important. Uh, and it also is uh, strategically important to Time Warner to really have a stronger path to the digital future, a path to kind of be, be a more significant player in the Internet. But what the lesson I learned from that was that vision without execution is hallucination. You know, the idea of the merger made sense to AOL, made sense to you know, Time Warner, but the execution of that idea was flawed. And ultimately, we didn't have the right people focused on the right priorities, working together in the right kind of way. And as a result, what you know, could have been a, a transformative merger ended up uh, struggling and it ultimately you know, had to get uh, being unwound in terms of kind of a breakup of, of the company. So the key lesson there, which I, I, I have a whole chapter on in the book, is, is that it, it really it does come down to execution and execution's about people. And that's true whether it's a large company like uh, AOL Time Warner, which at its peak, I think, had 90,000 employees, or that you're a smaller company with nine employees. Ultimately, it comes down to execution and comes down to people and you have the right dynamics there you have the right people working together in the right ways focused on the right you know, priorities establishing the right partnerships bringing to bear the right level of, of, of passion persevering you know then anything is possible if you don't have those dynamics working for you, you know, arguably nothing is, is possible mm, i see when you when you're structuring teams uh especially in the early days what did you look for in a person, someone to hire? Did you look for skills or attitude or what were you specifically looking for to structure those teams? Varied based on the stages. Uh, it, it, I think over the 15 years or so, I was uh, part of uh, of AOL. We probably had four, maybe even five you know, chief financial officers because at each stage of the company, a different, little bit different skill set, a little bit different mindset was was necessary. Uh, so it kind of depended on the, the, the stage of the company. The skill set is important. The understanding, you know, that particular area, whether it be finance or marketing or sales or customer service or engineering or whatever it might be, having competency in that area, having skill in that area, having track record in that area, you know, was important. But that wasn't enough. That was sort of necessary, but not sufficient. And so figuring out the broader you know, skill set in terms of how people really would work together as a as a team, both internally within the company and externally with partners, was important as well. So it was a a mix of of you know kind of skills, competency, if you will, but also a, a heavy focus on on, on culture and, and teamwork. With your venture capital firm Revolution LLC, you do a lot of investing. What kind of companies? are you looking to invest in? Because um, you seem to me like you're quite a futurist. So you're looking ahead quite quite, quite uh, many years. So, so what kind of companies are you looking for? It's a mix. We have uh, two groups at Revolution. One's called Revolution Ventures, which is focused on investing in you know, earlier stage startups. And the other called Revolution Growth, which is investing in later stage, what we call speed ups. Uh, and so what we're looking for in terms of, of, of the kind of companies, the kind of uh, you know, sectors are a little bit different in each of those. 
Uh, in the case of the venture side, where it is still more of a raw idea, uh, but it's something that we really think has the potential to have impact in the later stage, you know, growth side. Yeah, you know, it's, it's already a real business. It's already got some traction, but we, ha- you know, we have to convince ourselves that it really has the opportunity to be 10, 20, 30 times larger. So in terms of the, the way we think about it, that's the core dynamic. In terms of sectors, it's, it's fairly broad. We obviously, given our history, invest in a lot of internet-related uh, businesses and a lot of technology-related businesses in sectors like healthcare and, and education and, and things like that. But we've also, over the last decade, invested in and new transportation ideas, like the first car sharing company, Zipcar, we invested in 12, 13 years ago. The first kind of real estate hospitality sharing concept, a company called Exclusive Resorts, we uh, we invested in. In the last five years, we invested in a handful of food companies. We think that food is a, a sector ripe for disruption. So it really is, is, is sort of sector agnostic. We're really looking for great entrepreneurs with great teams that are on the path of building great companies. Mm, I see, yeah. Um, it's funny. I spoke to Robin Robin Chase last night. One of the companies oh, you guys nice. mentioned. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Lovely lady. Very very smart. Hey. <laughs> yeah, no, she is. Actually, when we she had founded the company and then uh, they raised some venture capital and and then uh, she stepped aside and somebody new came in. So I never had the opportunity to work directly with her. But by the time we invested, she had already left. But she was, you know, her idea was really quite visionary. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, um, very, very cool. Awesome. Well, look, um, we'll work towards uh, wrapping up, Steve, but uh, I have to know, you know, from your experience as an entrepreneur, your success, uh, you know, becoming a billionaire, uh, what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs that are looking to get ahead? I'd say several things, but I'd start it by saying I'm, I'm celebrate any entrepreneur trying to do anything because I really do believe that, you know, startups can change the world and that can come in a lot of different forms. But my personal preference and hope and guidance would be for entrepreneurs to tackle bigger problems, bigger challenges that really could have a more significant and constructive impact on more people's lives and ultimately on our, on our society, on our, on our world. So you know, taking on some of those hard challenges, even though they are hard and will take more time is important. And, and then bringing a kind of a longer term kind of built to last mentality, I think is also important. There are entrepreneurs who are more, have a more built to flip, kind of, kind of create some app, create some service and build it up to a certain level and sell it to another company a few years later and go off and do something else. And that's fine. Again, I, I, I'd be supportive of that. But my own preference is, is to take a longer term view. I think that's influenced by my own experience with, with AOL and my experience in those early days of the internet. We, we took on what was a hard problem in terms of really taking this idea and making it a reality. And it really took us a decade before we you know, really got, got traction. And, and so having that longer term change the world mindset is, is important. And, and, and there are many aspects of, of many people's lives and in many parts of the world you know, that really could benefit from that innovative mindset, from that entrepreneurial mindset. So you know, to me, it's, it's I'd encourage people to you know, pick a battle worth fighting, pick a mountain worth climbing, uh, and then, you know, kind of take that long view in terms of really trying to have a significant impact. And But recognize that it, it will require perseverance. It, it will increasingly require partnerships. It will increasingly uh, and require engaging with on the policy side of things. And that's just the nature of, 
of the beast if you're really going to try to have that significant impact. And the final point was just to t recognize and, and remember that often revolutions happen in more evolutionary ways, which is which is why that particularly perseverance is, is, is so important. So I'm happy to champion any entrepreneur trying to do anything, but I'd rather have people take on you know, difficult problems. How do we improve you know, the health of our communities? How do we improve the learning of our, our kids? How do we improve the food system so everybody eats healthier? Uh, how do we improve the way you know, energy works? How do we improve transportation with, with smart cities and, and, and smart grids? These are big problems, which also create big opportunities for the entrepreneurs willing to take that longer term, change the world, built to last mindset. I have to ask, these really, really big problems, uh, do you think they can be solved anywhere in the world? Or do you think predominantly these companies have to be started out of Silicon Valley, kind of like the Airbnbs, the Ubers, and all these unicorn startups? No, I definitely think they can start anywhere. And I think one of the chapters in the book is devoted to what I call the rise of the rest. And we're seeing innovation and entrepreneurship both regionalize and globalize. And, and within the United States, there's a lot of interest, not just in what's happening in Silicon Valley or New York or Boston, but what's happening in, in a, dozens of other cities all across the country. And similarly, we're seeing you know, great companies tackling great challenges you know, all across the, you know, the world. And, and, and obviously in Asia and in, in Europe and, and even now recently in Africa, there's, some, there's a great culture around entrepreneurship that's, that's forming there. And one of our, the companies we invested in a number of years ago actually was an e-commerce software company that started in Sydney and then opened a, an office in, in Austin and then in, in San Francisco, a company called you know, Big Commerce. That was an example of, of two entrepreneurs that basically had that idea in Sydney. And then as it got more traction, decided to take that idea you know, global. I think that dynamic is going to become much more you know, commonplace in, this, in the third wave. Mm, awesome. Okay, fantastic. Well, look, um, where's the best place uh, people can go to purchase your awesome book and learn more uh, from you and about you and uh, you know, in, get so much insight for the success you've achieved with AOL and, and uh, as a visionary? We've got a few different uh, sites people can look at. There's a stevecase.com site, a thirdwavebook.com site. Our investment company, Revolution, is revolution.com. And our foundation, the Case Foundation, is casefoundation.org, or people can just follow me on Twitter. My, my Twitter is Steve Case. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, look, I'll wrap there, but thank you so much for your time, Steve. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Enjoyed talking to you. The Founder Podcast has come to a close, but it's not time to sleep. It's time to hustle. Download the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine for free right now by visiting foundermag.com slash Branson. Again, that's an absolutely free download of the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine containing an exclusive interview with the man himself. It's only available at foundermag.com slash Branson. So download it now and we'll see you next time on the Founder Podcast. Thank you